This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com And welcome. Today I am delighted to have Jennifer Love. Jennifer is the founder and CEO of Entrepreneurs, an entrepreneurial advisory and education program. She's a serial entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience building and working with consumer brands. Jennifer has helped one of the brands, Lollywear, get funded on Shark Tank successfully, closing out a 1.1 million funding round. Uh, Jennifer also was the former CEO of Knitmore, uh, which went from a kitchen concept to award-winning wholesale chocolate company that's landed accounts in Virgin Airlines, Whole Foods, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Bloomingdale's. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for having me, Kellen. Great. I think that you are one of the most ideal guests to really speak uh, and uh, help uh, struggling and aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, oftentimes, you know, today it's been easier than ever to uh, be an entrepreneur. However, uh, there's, still, there, there's still a lot of challenges that entrepreneurs face and uh, they see so many success stories and sometimes they try to duplicate it, but often what they see is they see the success of these entrepreneurs, but they don't see the actual journey that these entrepreneurs have gone through. They don't see the instrumental moments. So how did Mm -hmm. you get started in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, sure. Well, it runs in the family, so it's in my DNA. My father was an entrepreneur uh, back in the day. And I started out at a very young age, um, having a very entrepreneurial mindset. Um, And in grad school, I was commissioned to write a business plan. I have no idea why this person wanted me to write a business plan. I had no business (laughs) writing. uh, But I did, and I went on to write thousands of other business plans um, during that period of time in my life and my career. And I've gone on to have multiple companies. Um, So I'm in my fifth venture now. Um, Some of those companies have failed, miserable failures, um, and some of them are doing well and surviving today. Um, One of them notably that you mentioned, Nidmore. Um, And I think that's a typical journey for an entrepreneur. You know, I think I'd love to remind those that are listening that entrepreneurship is a roller coaster ride. And you know, you have massive failure. And I think the way to look at that failure is not so much as failure, but as a learning opportunity. Uh, you know, what did what did I learn from that? What can I take forward? And I think the really successful entrepreneurs all have the characteristic of being persevering. You know, they, they get up, they learn from their mistakes, they take those learnings and they apply them to the next step in the next phase, in the next journey, in the next venture. And um, ultimately, they end up having lots of success. You know, you mentioned uh, that there's a rise in entrepreneurship, and there is, um, especially among female entrepreneurs. And that's where I really like to spend my energy and time is on supporting female entrepreneurs. Um, Not at the exclusion of the men, um, but at the inclusion of the women. And, and so it is a very long, hard journey. Um, you know, I remember 
in the summer of 2012, laying in bed at 2 a.m., sweating in the dark, looking up at the ceiling, wondering if Nidmore was going to survive. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's so common for entrepreneurs. It, it's normal to go through that phase of fear and terror. And, you know, in one moment, you may be thinking everything is great because you just landed this $100,000 PO or this million-dollar account. But then in the next moment, you're like, holy mackerel, how am I going to fulfill that, you know, order? Uh, I don't have the capital to actually even produce it. Uh, so, you know, it, it really is uh, this up and down roller coaster ride um, over time. And I think, you know, it's not for the weak of hearts, uh, but I think it's on the rise. And I think that's great, actually. When I look at, you know, what's happening in the, in the entrepreneurship space, and especially among women, you know, more and more women are leaving corporate America, uh, you know, and I, I've been asking myself kind of why is this happening and, and looking at some of the studies that have been done, you know, the American Express study that's been done and, and many others. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting to me and, and one of the answers that I seem to be is that mommyhood has a large part in this. Um, you know, the women are leaving the workforce because the traditional way that the workforce is operating is not very um, conducive for the female to stay in uh, the workforce and work, let's say, part time, you know, in the early days of being a mom. Um, so more and more women are leaving corporate America and they're finding a home in entrepreneurship. We're seeing a huge rise in, uh, in the education sector. We're seeing a huge rise in the internet marketing and online marketing um, sector. And uh, also in the virtual assistant sector is really, really growing. Uh, so, you know, I think there, you know, these women and entrepreneurs are finding um, homes um, in entrepreneurship in this way. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, more, more and more people are going into the entrepreneur path sometimes just by the lack of options. Uh, a recent Gallup poll has showed that uh, the new 40-hour work week is actually 47 hours. It's not 40 <laughs> hours anymore. So more employees are actually working, working more hours per week as they have previously. And then as we see with the economy, wages have stagnated, but inflation continues to rise. So actually, in a sense, people, actually the majority of the employees are taking a pay cut because prices are going up but the wages are not going up with it. So mm -hmm. uh, it's really encouraging a lot more people to become entrepreneurs, to take control of their financial destiny, because oftentimes, especially during these times, uh, there is no other choice. So I, th but, but I think one thing, uh, Jennifer, that lots of aspiring entrepreneurs that they find devastating, you know, they find these three different paths of, you know, kind of getting started. They say, okay, well, you know, what should I do? They say, well, should I, should I just, you know, you know, save up maybe the money, I, the money that I have to bootstrap? Uh, they may say, well, should I try to go and get government, government loans from the SBA and kind of go that route? Or they say, well, hey, should I actually do this whole venture capital private equity route? Maybe you could speak to all three of those different paths and maybe advise maybe what would be best for certain people? Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, there are so many different ways to finance a business. You know, I think bootstrapping is critical in the early in the early days. I don't recommend 
leveraging or, you know, mortgaging or remortgaging your home um, to capitalize your business. I never like to suggest that an entrepreneur um, puts themselves at the kind of risk of personal security, because if you aren't financially okay, then it becomes very, very difficult to, to move forward in your business. That said, you know, looking at, look at what's happening in the crowdfunding sector. Crowdfunding is a really, I think, interesting way for seed stage entrepreneurs and seed stage being, you know, kind of the startup phase, right? Um, to really reach out to their network and community and get the support of their friends and family uh, in that way without even having to give equity away. Now, there are multiple kinds of crowdfunding. So, you know, you've got your rewards based and you've got your equity based. But I think a great option for the, the early stage seed stage is to go the, the reward-based route. Uh, you know, if you need that $50,000 to spend on, you know, pay for a piece of equipment or, you know, for a specific marketing, you know, maybe it's, you know, you need 10 grand for your website and another 30 or 40 for, you know, marketing expenses. Getting that clear about what the expense is going to be used for and then posting that up on a crowdfunding site like a Kickstarter, like a GoFundMe, like an Indiegogo. There's a new one that's coming up for specific to uh, food and beverage called Pie Shell. Um, so, so more and more are popping up and they're going more and more um, industry specific. And there's even one called Plum that's um, for women specifically. Uh, so I think it's a great way to do milestone, what I call milestone funding, uh, and to really get that early seed stage. Now, it is an incredible amount of work to do it. Uh, you do have to, to promote it and, you know, have a bit of a social media push and push that out to your network. So it's not like you just get to put it up on the website and voila, you know, you're magically funded. It doesn't work like that. It does require effort. Um, but so does any kind of funding. And if you look at the SBA loans, you know, what, what's good for SBA loan is, is really if you have something more tangible, you know, if you're like a product-based business, for example, in the consumer packaged goods space, um, you know, that's a really great route to go. If you're trying to finance some equipment, SBA loans are great. Now, if you're a service-based business and you're trying to go get an SBA loan, it's a lot harder because there's nothing, there's no assets um, in the company. Uh, so it becomes a little bit more of a difficult route uh, you know, depending upon your credit, you know, loans can be, you know, a great way if you want to take out a line of credit. Uh, you know, that might be a great way depending upon uh, your relationship with your bank and and how good your credit is. Uh, looking at, you know, the, the traditional um, investor, you know, financing, going to your friends and family is by far the best way. You know, I was speaking yesterday at the Queen's Economic Development Corporation. And you know, I was giving my top three strategies on how to find investors. And by far, the number one strategy is to dig into your network. Now, most people are going to look at me and say, yeah, but Jen, I don't have a huge network. But the reality is that, and by the way, the New York Times came out with an article in 2013 that said the average person has 600 people in their network. And I'm going to guess that most entrepreneurs are not average people. <laughs> they tend to be they tend to be good networkers, and they tend to be very connected. So if if the average person has 600 people in their network, then the entrepreneur has more. 
what they have to do and what I what I have everyone that I work with do is make a list you know if you're an Excel spreadsheet person great plug it into Excel spreadsheet list their name list their email list their phone number you know go back to all of your clients and customers to that person that you knew 10 years ago that you really liked that you kind of fallen out of touch with um, you know all your friends all your family and here's what you do you pick up the phone and you call them now you may not have phone numbers for every single person that's okay get on LinkedIn and figure out you know how to reconnect with that person and you know schedule a time to, to talk to them um, you're not asking these people for money and this is the key you're not asking them for money you're asking them for help so you want to actually tell them about what you're up to kind of catch up here's what I'm up to you know I've got this great business here's why I'm the right person to be doing this here's a recent success that I've had and you know here's the money that I'm raising and here's what it's gonna pay for will will you help me by introducing me to five people that you know that you think might be inter you know interested in this opportunity right so, or, 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 or putting a different perspective on it not so much ask for help but asking them to be a part of something bigger that's right exactly yeah yeah and people love to help people and they love to be about they love to be a part of something that's exciting um, so this really works the strategy really really works and at the early stage it's absolutely the best strategy and when when people do this exhaustively it's remarkable the results they have from it um, so you know yes there is the angels you know one of the other you know strategies that I recommend um, for entrepreneurs at this stage is you know to really find those investors in their industry and the key advisors and go ask for and you know go ask for advice rather than asking for money you know it's the old adage if you ask for advice you'll you know you'll get money if you ask for money you'll get advice it's kind of true uh, so go in and build the relationship and ask them for specific and that's the key specific advice on how you know they can help you give feedback let's say you know your pitch deck for example like just ask them for specific help on your pitch deck or your financial model what happens with that is they become emotionally invested in helping you um, and then they get they get you give them an opportunity to really begin to see how you think strategically which is important for any investor um, so those are a couple of tips you know on the investor side on the SBA side, there's a great company uh, called Multi um, Multi Funding. Uh, he's you know he's able to fund within you know nationally with within on um, pretty much I think it's every single state now, um, and he actually will help those folks who want to go the SBA um, routes. He's got lots of alternative lending programs available as well. Ami Kasur is his name. Uh, and then you know there's the crowdfunding route as well. Right. So I think you know I think there are more and more options for people to to figure out the financing for their business. I just want to take a moment to tell you about Dreamhost. Dreamhost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. Dreamhost.com, P 
PCs Magazine Best Web Hosting Service. We're speaking with Jennifer Love. She's the founder and CEO of Entrepreneurs. Uh, she's been featured in the Huffington Post and Wall Street Journal. And we were just talking about uh, kind of the different routes of funding. Now, let's kind of let's kind of get into uh, how, how you were able to get Lollyware on Shark Tank. Because I get, I get, you know, at least I want to say a dozen emails a week about people asking me, you know, or, or, or at least their intentions on trying to get on Shark Tank. And uh, it was very, very, very competitive uh, type of show to get on. And uh, even people that get on the show, it's not really guaranteed you're going to get funding. A lot of times people get turned away. Let's talk about your experience working with Lollyware. What was, you know, what was with that? You know, I, I'm not sure if you kind of, if you signed any confidentiality agreements, but maybe whatever you can share about uh, how you work with Lollyware, maybe what were some of the challenges, and probably what were some uh, differences that made the difference in them getting funding uh, from, from the Sharks? Yeah, great, sure. When I met Lollyware, uh, that was about a year and a half ago, uh, you know, these were two trained industrial designers, so two female entrepreneurs who had pretty much just come out of um, Parsons School of Design. And they had this incredible prototype and idea. It was really just a concept at that point. Um, and I worked with them through the year and a half to, to do the following. You know, we really sat down and looked at their sales strategy and how how could we go to market and i think you know as the listeners are listening to this i want them to think about how they can apply these kind of concepts and, and strategies to their own business because it's important so you know for lollyware because uh it's you know we've been hand making it um for the last year it's much more expensive product uh and and to figure out how to automate that has been challenging although it's in the process of being done, which is great. Um, but it's been challenging because it's such a unique idea. Now, for those who don't know what Lollyware is, Lollyware is a biodegradable cup. It's a cup that you can eat that's meant to replace the one-time use plastic and styrofoam. Wow. Disposable cups. Yeah. Um, so this has a real environmental impact, right? This is a this is the answer to a real problem in the world, right? I think that's one of the keys is, you know, does your business solve a real problem or is it, you know, maximizing on an opportunity? So Lollyware checked that box, yes. But because because of the price point that we had to go to market at, we realized that going the, the traditional retail route was absolutely not the way to do it. On top of that, there needed to be a lot of consumer education around the usage of Lollyware. And sitting on a shelf simply didn't make sense. So what, what was the best route? The best route was to go food service, you know, on-premise, um, into high-waste events um, like weddings, you know, stadiums, sports, you know, sporting stadiums, um, any kind of event uh, that has high waste and high volume. Additionally, going and doing the online uh, play is absolutely the way to go because you know you can easily tell a story about your product or show videos, um, you know, online. So we built out the model and the strata and developed the strategy based on that knowledge that it was going to take time to reduce those costs and to build up consumer awareness. We put we plugged that into the financial model, which I helped them put together, and then. 
uh, started, you know, figuring out what was the best, you know, what were the best trade shows to to go to. During this time, Shark Tank actually reached out to Lollyware based on some of the press that we had received. Wow. And um, asked the company to apply, uh, which we did. And so we we launched sales um, of March of this year. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not going to get into the details of how much Lollyware has made. Um, let me just say it's been huge. Right. And and during that time, you know, from March to to June, I was working with them on uh, their funding strategy and introducing them to investors and going in and negotiating with investors. We then proceeded to prepare for Shark Tank, which we filmed in June. I went out to LA with them in June and was their lifeline. So I was waiting on the call with the producers if they needed me, but they didn't. And here's why, you know, we, I had prepared a 14 page document of questions and answers for them. I wanted these two ladies to be so prepared with every question that could possibly be thrown at them, financial strategy or otherwise. Um, and they were, we practiced, we lined up, uh, an advisory board who each advisor took on a character of one of the sharks and was poking at them, poking holes, and it really gave them an opportunity to have a stance and be prepared, and preparation was key here. And so then, you know, the night before they went on to film with the sharks, you know, we were talking, and, and part of the key here is, is confidence. It's about, it's about what I call the yes and strategy. So if someone comes at you and is like poking a hole at you, you're like, yes and, here's what we're doing to overcome this or yes and and it's it's that confidence that you exude that you have mastered your business and industry but not that you're ego you know maniacal that not that you don't have flexibility but that you are flexible you understand your business you know your numbers and you're confident and that's what happened Lollyware walked out on that stage and four of the sharks were fighting over them they walked out asking for $125,000 for 15% of their company, and they walked out with 600000 for 25% of their company. Why? Amazing. Because they were prepared. That's the answer. That's amazing. Getting invited to apply to Shark Tank is much better than kind of going out on your own trying to apply to Shark Tank because it definitely increases your chances. But kind of the whole system that you had in place for them and in developing kind of a, a, a bulletproof a strategy and uh, tactics, tactics and a whole outline so it could be an alluring and attractive presentation really made the difference and created sure. a situation in where shark tanks were fighting all over them. So that's great. I think I think that all comes down to, you know, once, you, once you're building a brand, once you're creating so much awareness, that's when you attract all of the opportunities. You know, I mean, it's it's basically finding a way to stand out from the crowd. I mean, everybody wants to be entrepreneurs, so the so the so the space is much more crowded. But as you create more awareness, as you stand out, then that's when uh, you will get the invitations. And uh, I can only imagine how you felt uh, once uh, they got funded. <laughs> <laughs> Shifting gears. Um, 
one thing too I think people are interested in is perhaps they might not kind of go the Shark Tank route, but maybe they may uh, they may kind of let's say go the SBA route, you know, getting loans or, or mm-hmm. getting bootstrap, or maybe as you talked about earlier, getting uh, funding from family and friends. Uh, you built the company, uh, you know, as, as, being, as being a co-founder and a CEO of Knitmore. And uh, I've checked that company out, and like, yeah, I was amazed of what I read about it. And uh, perhaps you can talk about some challenges that you face with Knitmore, and perhaps what were some uh, instrumental be successful with it. Yeah, sure. I, I think that uh, you know what's interesting for me about Knitmore is that you know we were two female entrepreneurs starting a business back in 2009 in the middle of the recession. Um, you know, some might call us crazy and talk about not the banks not lending. I mean, you could barely get a mortgage back then, let alone a business loan. Uh, so we were absolutely scrappy uh, in the beginning days of Nipmore. And, you know, I think one of the challenges that we really faced up front, we were in, you know, we were in an incubator kitchen space. So we were renting a kitchen by the hour. Uh, to manufacture our product and we did that to keep costs low and also to prove out you know in the early days we were kind of proving out is this really going to work you know do people really want this and you know we're another chocolate company but we're, we're putting a health twist on this and is this something that people actually want and so the answer ended up being yes and you know, I was I was hitting the pavement, you know, meeting with the buyers in New York City uh, at the the health food stores, you know, meeting with them and, and getting the chocolate in. And what ended up happening was that we we got to the place where we were selling so much, we outpaced what we could actually produce in the kitchen. And that's a really frustrating place to get for any entrepreneur because you always want to be able to sell more and more and more. We actually had to stop taking on new accounts for almost a year. Wow. Uh, yeah, and you know, just service our existing accounts so that you know we wouldn't lose our existing accounts because I knew that if we took on more accounts and we couldn't fulfill our existing, our existing would be upset, rightfully so, and we would lose their business altogether. So it was a very difficult strategic decision to make, but we did. And what happened during that time was we ended up putting together an investment plan. And you know, we we went to friends and family, and you know, they funded us. You know, it was a very strategic, well thought out plan. We had a clear path for how we were going to you know continue to increase our sales and reduce our costs and what accounts we were going to go after. And I always, you know, I do think that it's always easier when you've got a little bit of traction and you've proven it out and you've got accounts. You know, it's, it's much easier to say as an entrepreneur to an investor, you know, who's looking to invest, we have accounts we can't fulfill. This is why we need money, right? This is the reverse of that. Right. Um, but we went to friends and family and sat down and showed them a well thought out plan. And, and we raised 250000 um, back wow. in 2012. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's, that's 250000 from how many people, Jennifer? So that was from 12 people. Oh, wow. That was a total of 12 people. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So question, uh, and 
uh, think many people uh, will probably are curious to know too. A person who is just starting a business, so typically their business has no no uh, net worth, no equity value uh, whatsoever, and they're trying to take their uh, they're trying to take their business and perhaps elicit some equity. Uh, what would you say? would be a good number for an entrepreneur to start with of offering uh, portions of equity, let's say, uh, let's say 5% of the business, you know, what would be a good base model for entrepreneur to uh, offer typical business, nothing too specialized, nothing too general, but kind of somewhere in the middle. So you're asking what would be a good valuation or equity offer? Yes. Okay. So, you know, there's there's no real easy answer for that. It really depends on what industry and what kind of, you know, company you are. There's different valuations for different kinds of companies. If you're a tech company, for example, your valuation, even if you're pre-revenue, may come in somewhere between 6 and 12x, you know, your projected revenue for the first year. Okay. If you're a consumer product, the the velocity velocity being um, how often you're turning inventory over uh, in, a, in, in an account is much slower than tech growth. So the multiple that you would use there is anywhere from one and a half to, to four. Uh, so it really depends on you know what space you're in. And then I think it also depends on the innovation and the experience level of the entrepreneur. You know, I think you have to take a really hard look at you know, and be honest with yourself. Like, have I been in business before and done this before? You know, am I doing some kind of a business that I have any experience or knowledge in? You know, one of the companies that I'm working with right now, they're they're a uh, tech company for the food and beverage space. Uh, they haven't been in food and beverage before, but this founder has strong, uh, very strong background in technology and programming and uh, managing multi-million dollar projects for lar- for the, some of the largest corporations in the world. So, you know, what is your skill set and strength? And if you don't have the skill set and strength, then you need to go find the team and or advisors to fill in those gaps to help you tell that story to raise the kind of equity and at the valuation that you want. So there, it, it, there's no real, you know, hard fast rule for this there's so many factors that play into it depending upon space depending upon your experience and depending upon who's in your team great advice do you think it's a good idea jennifer for a person let's say they want to be an entrepreneur but more so a service sector business do you think it would be a good idea for them to try to uh, uh, raise capital from family or friends or do you think that could be counterproductive so a service-based business needs to ask themselves, you know, when they're going out to raise money, you know, am I scalable? Uh, and, the, and this is the typical issue for getting funding for a service-based business. Now, if you aren't scalable, like meaning, you know, your hours really dictate, you know, how much revenue you can bring in, then you need to sit back and ask yourself, what can I do to make my service-based business scalable? And that might be taking it online in some way. You know, an example for me is, you know, I only have so many advisory hours in my, you know, with private clients, right? 
and and I'm not inexpensive, <laughs> but you know, there's still that still has a has a maximum. It has a rooftop, right? But what I can do is leverage my skill set by taking that to online training, and then thereby dropping the the cost. You know, for, like for example, I've got a program called Get Funded Now, and Get Funded Now is an eight week course that prepares entrepreneurs for funding. That allows hundreds of entrepreneurs to come through um, because I'm doing live training with them all at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an example of how to create a service-based, turn a service-based business into a more scalable model. Mm -hmm. And that is more fundable. So I, you know, I, I just elicit those who, who have a service-based business, if what you're looking to do is really grow and you need some capital, look at how to make it scalable before you do that and then go, yes, of course, talk to your friends and family. Right. Now, this question is sort of kind of like in the middle because technically like uh, these types of forms are considered products, but at the same time, I think they kind of uh, mirror a lot of kind of a service-based, uh, a service-based you know, service business as well. And the question is, you know, uh, you know, there's lots of people who email me. Uh, you know, they want to write a book or they want to, they want to, uh, you know, uh, create a movie, like a like like an actual full feature movie, or they want to, they they want to have, they want to have a, a CD or a TV show or you know things like that. Now, typically, mm -hmm. those things are not typically. You can't really. Uh, dramatically monetize those things. I mean, usually uh, books are typically limited to uh, royalties from print, uh, uh, digital, and audio. Uh, when it comes to movies, that's typically kind of limited to uh, you know movie sales and DVD sales and things like that. The question is, uh, what would you say to a person who's interested in kind of going into that entertainment direction? Like I said, whether it's in the form of a book or in the form of a, or a, form of a, a album or in the form of a, uh, a movie or in the form of a TV show, you know, do you, uh, what would you say? Would you kind of say that kind of whole uh, the the answer previously kind of applies with this as well? Uh, do you kind of think it's a good idea for them to elicit um, uh, you know capital from family and friends uh, outside of uh, investors? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that these folks can do depending upon you know what their book is about or what their movie is about. Uh, but there are actually, interestingly enough. Um, there's a crowdfunding site that is specific to funding movies. Um, those who are, you know, producing and um, directing their own movies. And the the name of it is escaping me right now. But I'm sure if you typed in, uh, you know, movie crowdfunding, it'd come up. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is that option. Of, I think the whole crowdfunding world is really changing. Um, you know this this whole world for, for folks but you, you yes I would I would actually say to anyone who's writing a book or um, you know putting a movie together how can you license something like look at some kind of a licensing deal uh, you know how can you scale it further uh, the next thing that I would really say is you know take a look at those who you know if you've got a documentary for example on let's say, let's say uh, women empowerment mm -hmm. uh, you know find those who are also interested and you know like a philanthropist for example who uh, cares about that topic as well okay and go have a go have a conversation with those folks for example you know with taking using myself as you know the the example if I was raising money right now um, which I'm not for entrepreneurist 
I would be going and having a conversation with Tory Burch. Why? Well, because Tory Burch has a foundation that's all about, you know, female entrepreneurship. And she earlier this year opened up a program with Bank of America for a lending program for low income areas for female entrepreneurs. Awesome. So she and I share very much the same kind of passion and vision and mission of why what we're doing with our businesses. I'd be sitting down and having a conversation with Tori um, or someone like Tori uh, to say, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm working on, who do you know, or would you be interested in, in doing this project with me or helping me fund this project? So finding those who care about what you care about, who have the resources and money and access, that's, that's another really great way to get yourself funded. Great advice. And I think a lot of people will definitely uh, appreciate it. And uh, you gave a, gave a lot of good nuggets of wisdom and insights here today. As we come to a close, uh, Jennifer, how can people follow you? And maybe, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you could talk about um, some of the things you're working on. Yeah, sure. Well, you can head over to JenniferLove.com, which is an easy name to remember. Um, and then sign up in our community. I've got lots of things going on behind the scenes and would love to hear from anyone. Um, that would be interested um, and you can follow me on all kinds of social media at uh, at jlovebiz biz so at jlovebiz um, what have I got going on right now I'm actually really excited about this program called get funded now that I'm, I'm just in the middle of launching and this get funded now program is meant for that early stage entrepreneur who is ready to go get funded and it takes them through all of the steps that they need to do to, in order to be successful with it. So we, we dig into your game plan, your you know, go-to-market strategy, your sales strategy, your financial model, structuring your business, and then we get into structuring your offer, and I dig into what questions investors are gonna ask you, uh, you know, what, what kind of valuation should you be looking at, um, how to structure your cap table, you know, all the milestones and all of that. And then I get into actually preparing for the investor, preparing for the due diligence, putting your pitch deck together, how to put together a data room, um, and then you know what kind of investor is the right fit. You know, one of the things that I often say is that you wouldn't go to a marathon with shoes that didn't fit you. You wouldn't put on the wrong sh size shoe, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Well, because you would end up with massive blisters, you'd be bleeding, probably end up with some kind of a fungus and land yourself in the hospital. And who in the world would do that? Nobody. Right. Well, the same thing with, you know, with a, an investor. You want to make sure it's the right fit. So we dig into that. And then I show you how to really shop your deal, how to find the investors, how to network with them, um, and how to, you know, how to, the strategies and techniques in order to really to land them. And then how to close the deal, how to, you know, successfully negotiate um, and the follow-up techniques and how to use those investors that have, have come in to find, help you find more investors and then how to really communicate and build that relationship long-term where it becomes a really good win-win. Um, so this program is really meant to help entrepreneurs come through it and be su super successful. I talk a lot about mindset. I talk a lot about confidence. I talk about team. And I've curated some incredible experts from around the country, um, from CFOs to, CF to CPAs, to investors, to um, attorneys, and to successfully funded entrepreneurs who are all part of this program and giving um, these entrepreneurs who come into the program access to all of this. So 
I think it's an incredible program that will be extremely helpful for a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm launching beta actually this coming Monday, and then it'll run again um, twice next year. So for those who are interested in you know a program like this, reach out to me, get involved in our community, and you know let me know what I can do to support you because I'm all about supporting entrepreneurs to make sure they're prepared because what I don't want to see walking out on Shark Tank or to any investor meeting is those who get eaten alive or walking out needing band-aids. Let's avoid that. Uh, let's get you so prepared that sharks are actually fighting over you. Right, right. Uh, anybody who gets who, anybody who uh, gets a business funded uh, from sharks is definitely someone I would recommend. So definitely check out uh, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Love, uh, uh, com as well as you can follow her on social media. Jennifer, thanks for being our guest. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at Seen and Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.